We are going to be uh, just finishing. We started last week just a short two-part sermon series on forgiveness. And last week was a little bit more of the negative side of this topic, uh, the idea of bitterness and the corruption that it breeds in our own lives. And this week is uh, a little bit more on the positive side, that is, what exactly does forgiveness look like? Uh, I told you last week I was going to break some uh, preaching rules, and I'm going to do that again today. We're just going to, I don't have any transitions, there's so many points here, we're just going to go through all the points And so if it seems a bit abrupt to you, that's, I'm sorry. Uh, I also am not going to have a separate section at the end like I normally do of application because the application particularly today, although it is like this a lot, but particularly today is throughout uh, at at each point. So uh, with that being said, uh, let's just jump right in um, and uh, see the roadmap of where we're going today. We're going to see the biblical command to forgive. Forgiveness defined, forgive but to what extent, some pragmatic objections, forgiveness, I don't know if you can see that symbol, that's the does not equal symbol, forgiveness does not equal trust, a roadblock to worship, I just can't forgive myself, evidence of a forgiving heart and the pattern and fuel for forgiveness. Let's go ahead and begin uh, with a word of prayer. Thank you God for your grace to us, we thank you for scripture. We thank you for uh, what we mentioned last week, and that is that you are the one who forgives us, and then that makes us uh, able to forgive other people. Thank you for this pattern, for this foundation, for this marvelous grace that we cannot fathom. Help us to be people who do not harbor bitterness in our hearts. Help us to be forgiving people. Help us to demonstrate uh, our love for others this way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin here today by establishing the fact that in no uncertain terms, the Bible simply says, you must forgive. There's no gray area here. There's no uh, question marks here. You simply have to do this. And there are a number of passages. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13. We see it says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Matthew 6.14-15. through 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mark 11.25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. Luke 6, 37, judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not and you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. This is pretty clear. Uh, These are not uh, disputed passages. Uh, There's not tricky Greek words here, okay? This is simply forgive. When someone offends you, you are to respond by forgiving. No ifs, ands, or buts. There's no special list of exceptions or special cases or outliers or nonconformities. You cannot come up to me and say, but you don't understand. He hurt me this bad. God has laid down a simple requirement to forgive, and he has done this because he knows better than we do, and that is that. End of discussion, period, end of sentence. If you walk out of this church today, 
refusing to forgive someone, you are in sin. This is our task. It is our responsibility. And if you don't do this, you are directly defying God to his face and you are spitting on Christ and on the message of the gospel and you are communicating a lie about God to the world. You're saying this is how God acts in the world. So it is serious. We must do this. There's no caveats, no exceptions. But what does it look like? What is it? What is forgiveness defined? I'm going to read to you. A couple of definitions that I came across here uh, that I thought were helpful. Uh, this one comes from, actually, some of you may remember, this, we did this a number of years ago. We went through uh, a book, The Peacemaker, uh, by Ken Sandy, uh, which is an excellent book if you have not read it. Uh, but this is how he def- defines it in his book. He says, to forgive someone means to release him or her from liability. Okay? To release from liability. To suffer punishment or penalty. A fiemi, the Greek word that is often translated as forgive, means to let go, to release, or to remit. It often refers to debts that have been paid or canceled in full. Charizomai, another word for forgive, means to bestow favor freely or unconditionally. This word shows that forgiveness is undeserved and cannot be earned. Uh, Another definition is this. Forgiveness is the release on the part of the creditor or offended party of any expectation that a debt will be repaid or that an offender will receive punishment for an offense. When describing the removal of an inappropriate offense in this way, the removal does not condone the behavior or suggest approval for the offense. In other words, when you forgive, he's simply saying that this does not mean that you're saying it was okay what you did or it was right what you did but that you are releasing or forgiving. This one is from uh, the Puritan Thomas Boston, and he simply asks the question, what is meant by our forgiving them? It is our hearty forgiving them the injury done to us, to forgive the injury against God is not in our power, entertaining no hatred or malice against them, but loving them with the love of goodwill, heartily wishing their good and being ready to do them good. That's hard. There's also a couple of different Greek words that are translated as forgive. And I'm just going to give to you what their definitions are. Uh, One is to cancel a sum of money that is owed. Or to release from legal or moral obligation or consequence. Cancel, remit, or pardon. The act of freeing from an obligation, guilt, or punishment, pardon, or cancellation. The idea essentially here is that when someone wrongs you, they owe you something. To forgive them is to release them from owing that. You no longer count it against them. And now you actually have a positive, loving disposition toward that person. That is what forgiveness is. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, okay, forgive, but to what extent? Tell me about the limitations and the boundaries. Uh, Many of us can find ourselves relating to Peter. Uh, Peter is one of those uh, disciples that, as all of you know, he was the kind of the one guy who was like open mouth, insert foot, right? I mean, like he gets criticized for everything that he does. Uh, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can't relate to that. 
Uh, But here's one thing that I think that Peter said that we can identify with. And it's simply a question that he asked. And the question is simply this. How often? How often? This question is asked in Matthew 18, 21 through 22. And to give the full context of the question, he says, uh, or it says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often? Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Peter's coming to this thinking he's generous. (laughs) I am going to show myself righteous and I will do this up to seven times. And Jesus, of course, says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus is not saying, we all know that Jesus is not saying That you take a notebook around with you all day long and you have a little tally sheet. You say, that's one, that's two, that's three, four, five. And you get all the way up to 77 and you say, okay, you've hit your quota for the day and no more forgiveness for me. Jesus, of course, is telling us that we must forgive an unlimited amount of times. Now, one thing to say here is that you are permitted to do something here. And that is, if a person is sinning against you repeatedly in the same way over and over and over again, you are permitted to say, I think you might need some help in this area. Okay? You are allowed to say that. That is compatible with forgiveness. Okay, now you could say that in a resentful way and you could say that in a non-forgiving way, but you ought to say that if you are going to say that, if you need to say that, to say that with plenty of forgiveness. And of course, you need to take the log out of your own eye first before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's say that your spouse has a sharp tongue and they're constantly using it against you and they're constantly saying, I'm sorry about that. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You are to forgive them right away, immediately, no caveats, end of discussion. You can say, you know what, I forgive you and will continue to forgive you, but this is a pattern and I would love to help you get some counseling or some help in this area. This is permissible, but you must still forgive. It is to be Complete forgiveness, not partial forgiveness. It is forgiveness not contingent upon their behavior. Well, if you shape up and stop this, then I will forgive you. No, it's complete. It's total. There's no exceptions at all. Okay. Which brings us to some pragmatic objections. I have two main objections. And the first objection is what if they don't ask to be forgiven? Uh, I get this question um, somewhat often, and I want to give to you two different scenarios, okay? So, follow the structure of where we're going here. Question number one, what if they do not ask to be forgiven? And underneath this question, I'm going to give you two different situations, okay? The first situation is a situation where the other person is not even aware that they did anything to offend you. And it's probably not on the grand scheme of things, something that's very big. Okay. They've, they've either sinned against you 
or they've just offended you in some way. And, uh, and they don't know about it, and they don't ask you to be forgiven. What do you do in that situation? And it is interesting to me that I see on a somewhat regular basis, in fact, maybe even often, I see people frequently drawing attention to lists and things that you should not say to other people. Usually it comes from the person they they were offended. And so don't say these things to these people. So, for example, newlyweds, okay? Uh, Some who are uh, maybe a little bit bolder will post on social media, you should never, ever ask a newlywed. So when are you going to have children? <laughs> this is offensive and da 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 okay? Or if you are maybe not even newly married, sometimes people will ask you, are you going to have any more children, okay? Uh, there are lists. There are lists online that you can go to, and I Googled some of them, of all of the things that you should not ask people, Okay? Uh, A couple more of these questions. Uh, uh, You should never ask someone, have you lost weight? Um, You're not supposed to ask people, are you sick or are you tired? It implies that they don't look, you know, whatever. Uh, You shouldn't ask people, why aren't you married yet? Okay. And there are other questions and so on and so forth. Now, uh, I understand and I recognize and I realize that we ought, not try to be offensive, okay? I am not saying try to be offensive to other people, okay? We should be sensitive and watch the questions that we ask and all this kind of stuff. But we do have to keep in mind the fact that the inspired list of offensive questions is a moving target, okay? Who can keep up with this list, okay? And the problem that I would suggest to us is that we tend to talk about this topic almost exclusively from the perspective of not giving offense. We rarely talk about this topic from the perspective of not taking offense. The Bible actually addresses this. Proverbs 10 and verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Okay? Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory, his glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Instead of venting on social media about some well-meaning elderly person who asks you an offensive question, how about just don't take offense? How about don't be so easily offended? Who cares if someone asks you an offensive question, okay? We, we, we have to make up so many things to get offended about today. This is, now, this is a form of forgiveness. The person didn't ask you to forgive them. The other person didn't even know that they offended you. And it may not even be a sin. It may just be something, a uh, scruple or something. So what do you do when someone doesn't ask you to forgive them? In this situation, you overlook it, you let love cover it, and stop being such a sensitive whiner, okay? 
just get over it and move on. It is your glory to overlook an offense and not be so sensitive. Now, that's issue number one under this umbrella of what if they don't ask to be forgiven. I'm going to give you issue number two, okay? The second issue is what do we do when someone legitimately sins against us in an egregious way and they refuse to ask for forgiveness? This could be as serious as some form of abuse. Could be something from your childhood, a parent, a teacher, a relative who was harsh with you or did something hurtful. It could be from a marriage that went south. It could be from all of these kinds of things. And the answer to this question is rather straightforward. If someone does not ask you to forgive them, you have the spirit of forgiveness, which means that if they ever did ask you, you would be ready to forgive at the drop of a hat. Okay? Forgiveness, properly understood, is a transaction between two parties. Someone asks to be forgiven, and someone grants forgiven. If someone does not ask to be forgiven, that transaction cannot fully take place. Okay? I am suggesting that we ought to have a spirit of forgiveness, and I want to give to you two verses that I think convey this to us. The first one is Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Someone abuses you, and they are obviously not asking you to forgive them. So what do you do? You bless them, and you pray for them. The second verse is Acts 7 and verse 60. This is Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And we read this. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Do you understand what is going on here? Okay. Stephen is surrounded by men who are throwing rocks at him until he dies. And he prays that God would not hold this sin against them. And we can't forgive someone because they asked us when we're going to have children. Seriously? Do we, we have no sense of the depth of forgiveness going on here. They did not ask him for it. They were, they were not throwing rocks. Stephen, forgive us. <laughs> they were not doing this. Okay? They were throwing rocks at him. They were killing him. And he has a spirit of forgiveness. He says, Lord, please don't hold this against them. That's the first pragmatic objection given in two different situations. Here's the second uh, pragmatic objection. What if they won't forgive? We're going to put the shoe on the other foot. What happens if you are the one who sinned and you ask them to forgive you and they do not forgive you? A minute ago, I said that forgiveness was a transaction that takes place and that for this transaction to take place, there has to be participation from two parties. Okay? 
What if you are the one who did the sinning and you ask them to forgive you and they refuse to forgive you? Does this mean that you are now held liable for this by God? I'm just going to give to you one passage and I'm just going to say rest in this passage and that is Psalm 32 verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Okay? You will go through life and you will ask people to forgive you and they will withhold forgiveness from you. In that situation, you confess your sin to the Lord, he forgives you, and you rest in that. You will go through life and there will be broken relationships horizontally that you will try to repair and you will fail at that. Every person in this room has some kind of relationship somewhere to some degree, to some extent that they have tried to repair and it has failed. What do you do in that situation? You trust God. You give it to God. Because what forgiveness is most, it is, it is, it is nice to have horizontal forgiveness and it makes for good relationships, but it is essential to have divine forgiveness. And if God forgives you, then you're fine. You rest, you trust, it's sufficient. The Lord's disposition to you is more important. And if someone won't forgive you, then you leave it in God's hands. You rest in his forgiveness, not on human forgiveness. Forgiveness does not equal trust. Now, this is the part where we get to a very particular question that several of you asked me this week, this last week. I asked a question, and I, and I just said, is there anything in particular uh, you guys would like to see me touch on in today's message on forgiveness? And this one came up a few times. Um, the, the question uh, in one form or another is, what do we do about these things that we call boundaries? Is it appropriate to forgive, but to put up some form of a boundary somewhere? Or is that indicative that I have not forgiven if I, if I do that? Um, the overarching answer to this question is that forgiveness and trust are two separate things. We could also say it this way. Forgiveness and fellowship are two separate things. And what I mean by this is that one can forgive somebody, but not trust that individual. One could forgive someone, but not have fellowship with that individual. Now, we have to be very, 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 very careful here because we could make a mistake here. And the world is pushing us very hard in one particular direction. And the world is telling us constantly over and over again that we need to cut out, quote unquote, toxic people from our lives. Okay. I am telling you that that is bad advice. Okay. If you had to cut out toxic people from your life, you would have to cut out everybody from your life. Okay. <laughs> 
and everyone would have to cut you out of their life, okay? Because you are a wretched sinner, and the only thing good about you is Jesus Christ, okay? So you're that toxic person. It would be very easy to say, oh, I've forgiven them, but I've cut all of these people out of my life, and I'm actually harboring resentment and bitterness, okay? So I want to be very careful that we don't fall into that trap. Let me say it this way. The primary reason that I would not want to distance myself from people is because they are sick. And sick people need healing and medicine, and that comes through Scripture. If you distance yourself from people, you cannot help them. They're sick. Like a doctor gets near a sick or dying patient who could be contagious, so too the Christian gets near sick and dying people because we have to administer the truth of Scripture to them. So the primary reason that I would not want to distance myself from people is because they're sick. Likewise, the primary reason that I would want to distance myself from people is because they are sick. And sick people can spread their sickness to me or my family. And and biblical wisdom helps me to decide between these two courses of action. Not what's popular in the culture, not what everyone in the world is telling you to do, but what the Bible tells you to do. Scripture gives to us examples of both. Both. Okay? Okay? The most famous example of the one is Jesus eating with sinners, okay? And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus eats with sinners, okay? And he does this because they are sick and they need help. If the Pharisees live today, they might say in the modern vernacular, why do you eat with toxic people? Why why do you eat with these people? This aspect of it is very rebuking to those Christians who believe that it is their task to completely isolate themselves from the world. We are not called to do that. We are in the world. We're not to be of the world, but we're in the world. Okay? We're not to isolate ourselves so that we have no interaction with the world. Now, on the other hand, there are times where biblical wisdom informs me that the wisest course of action is to distance myself from someone. And I'm going to give to you some very specific biblical examples of this. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You should not be a companion of fools. There's a distancing going on there. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Psalm 26 and verse 4, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites, okay? For all of the children who are here with us today, here's what this is saying. Choose your friends wisely, okay? Whoever you hang out with, you, it's been said before, show me who your friends are today, 
and I will show you what you will look like tomorrow. Okay, there's truth in this. The Bible is teaching us to be careful about this. Now, there are times when biblical wisdom is deciding between these two courses of action in different situations, or actually in the same situation, okay? I am very eager to eat with sinners, and yet I would not go riding around town with these same people, okay? Same person. Uh, Come over to my house. Let's have dinner. Sit around my table. Let's enjoy fellowship together. And then they want to go do such and such. Uh, Probably not a good idea. I'm not going to do that, okay? There's same same people, but in the one situation, I'm saying yes. Biblical wisdom says this is a way of influencing them. The other situation says no, I don't want to do that. Um. Here's, here, let me give you a principle here, okay? Here's the principle. I want to increase the situations where I am influencing them. And I want to decrease the situations where they are influencing me for evil. Okay? That piece of biblical wisdom is going to help me decide between the two. So let me give you a couple examples. Let's say that you hire a babysitter and she gets distracted because she's busy posting and sending selfies across the world. And while she is posting and distracted, your child gets into some kind of medicine or the rat poison or I don't know, whatever, and you have to call poison control, okay? And it's this big mess and a situation and the babysitter is in tears and apologizing profusely. Fortunately, everything turns out okay. Your child is safe. And she says, I am so sorry, will you forgive me? You must forgive. You must forgive. You must not be resentful. You must not harbor bitterness. You must not hope for her demise. You must not entertain thoughts in your head of her suffering. Hopefully she'll suffer in this way, so then she understands what it's like to to hurt. Okay? But you don't have to hire her as a babysitter again. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness is given. It is given freely. It is given without caveats. It is given, you don't have to work to earn this. Trust is earned. Okay, another example. Let's say that your teenage child is friends with someone who gets your child into trouble, maybe with the law or something. And this friend apologizes to you in tears. You must forgive them immediately. No caveats, no hoping for their demise. But biblical wisdom would say, I'm not going to let my child hang out with you alone anymore. Now, this is where we can move in and out of two different situations, okay? How about you come to our house for our family dinner? How about you come on our weekend excursion that we're going out to Niagara Falls? How about you come to this? And I I don't think we're quite ready to let my child go out with you yet. You, You see how there's situations where I'm increasing my positive influence of them and being careful because trust has been lost in this particular situation. Um... Now, there may be other situations where you do want to give them trust again. There's a a story um, where uh, 
um, uh, Edison with the light bulb. You guys know the story of, of this, where he is inventing the light bulb, and he's got a prototype, and it takes hours and hours and hours and hours to make this. And he gives the, the light bulb to the boy, and he says, take this up to the testing room. And the boy walks up the stairs, and he falls in the stairs and, and shatters the light bulb. Okay. And, you know, just all kinds of time wasted and all this kind of stuff. And so a few days later, or a week or whatever it is, uh, they finally get another light bulb finished. And um, it's time to go up to the testing room. And he points to the same boy and says, can you take this up to the testing room? <laughs> what, <are you> doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> right? There can be times, there can be situations where, yeah, he could drop it again. But you're wanting to build trust in this particular situation. There's not a risk of my child being poisoned, but... A light bulb, we could live with that, okay? And so there's different situations here. Biblical wisdom is going to help you understand the different situations. In some situations, quote-unquote setting boundaries could be an excuse for you to continue to to, uh, cherish your wounds and to harbor bitterness and to be proud and arrogant. But in other situations, setting a little bit of space between you and someone else could be an act of biblical wisdom and protection, for your family. Uh, again, these are different situations and they're very challenging to discern. Um, but the Bible gives us examples of both situations to work through. A roadblock to worship. A number of years ago, I recall that uh, there was a friend that I had who suddenly and without any warning at all uh, cut off all interaction and communication with me. Um, I tried to figure out what was going on, uh, but all I received and all of my efforts, all of my trying to reach out was all I received was silence in return. This person would not return my calls. He would not reply to text messages. I tried all kinds of ways to reach out to him and nothing worked. Finally, after a good long while, I was able to learn that he was, um, uh, saying all kinds of bad things about me behind my back. Uh, And I tried my absolute hardest to reconcile this relationship. I reached out probably dozens of times, and I was met every time with anger, bitterness, and frustration. I pleaded. I pleaded. If there is anything, if I have sinned in any way, I want to confess and repent over this. I am eager to repent and to confess. Show me where I've sinned. That was my... Only question was just please tell me what I have done to sin against you. And he continued to respond in the same way. And after a good long while of trying to reconcile with him, I told him something that got his attention. Um, And I said, if you don't try to make an effort to reconcile this broken relationship, you can't worship God. Um, and he did get very angry about that and said something like, who are you to tell me how I worship God, so on and so forth. And I want to give to you the verse that I quoted to him, and I want to tell you the same thing today, that if you refuse to reconcile a relationship and you harbor bitterness in your heart, you can't worship God. 
Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus makes it clear that forgiveness and reconciliation comes before worship. Meaning that every single person here in this room right now who is refusing to forgive someone is a hypocrite. If you are in this room right now and you are willingly refusing to forgive someone for something they have done against you, and you are worshiping, quote-unquote, God, then you are a hypocrite. Your worship to God and your singing to God and your presence here is an absolute farce, a facade, a charade. This is, th- there are passages in Scripture that tell us, that husbands and wives... Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. You don't get this right in this relationship, then God's not going to hear your prayers. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. John MacArthur makes it abundantly clear when he says this, the choice believer's face is clear. Hold a grudge or have their prayers heard. That's it. You can't have both. You can't hold a grudge and have your prayers heard. You can't hold a grudge and worship the Lord. If you are here today as a hypocrite, you're holding a grudge, you're refusing to forgive someone, guess what? You have a full seven days to get this taken care of before you come here next week. That's a lot of time. That's plenty of time to take care of things. I just can't forgive myself. One writer says this, God may forgive me, but I just can't forgive myself. This statement oozes with false humility, but it is really a canker of pride. God, who resides as judge and arbiter in the highest courtroom, pronounces you not guilty by virtue of your trust in Christ. But you sit as judge and arbiter in a much lower court and overrule the higher court's ruling. This is flagrant contempt. When we act and think in this way, we are really saying that we are bigger than God. The Bible never, ever, anywhere says, forgive yourself. You are supposed to simply accept God's forgiveness of you. He has declared you are forgiven. And when you say, I cannot accept that, you are, you are picking a fight with the Almighty. You are saying, your ruling is invalid here. What you say about me is false, God. I am not forgiven until I can forgive myself. If you say 
I cannot forgive myself, then this is a litmus test for something very sinister that is lurking below the surface. And that is this. If you say, I just can't forgive myself, then you believe in penance, not grace. This is what you're saying. You're saying really, truly, in my heart, in the depths of my heart, I don't really believe that forgiveness comes from free grace. What you are saying is I believe forgiveness must be earned and I have not earned it yet. And I will not forgive myself until I've jumped through enough hoops and I've done enough works to forgive myself. Earlier I said... Uh, something to the effect of you're preaching a lie about the gospel. And that is exactly what you're doing here. If you are saying, I cannot forgive myself, you are preaching to the world salvation by faith plus works. You're not preaching free grace. You're preaching that you have to earn God's way. Let us never be among those who say, I just can't forgive myself. Let us recognize where the true battle is. Whether you accept God's declaration of you or not. Whether you accept the ruling of the higher court or whether you think you have to overrule it with the lower court. God says, when you trust in Christ as Savior, when you repent of your sins and trust in him, you are forgiven. And this forgiveness will have evidence and fruit. If you have forgiven somebody, it will be obvious to everyone. We talked a lot more about bitterness last week. Bitter people are resentful, angry, proud, complaining, murmuring, etc. Matthew 5.44 gives to us the evidence of a heart that has forgiven somebody. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The easiest way to find out if you have forgiven someone is to see what your reaction is to them. Do you love them? Do you want the best for them? If they're an unbeliever, do you want them to repent and believe in Christ as Savior? But if you hate them, if you murmur about them, if you rehearse scenarios through your mind of ways that they could pay and ways that you could get even, and if I just had five minutes alone with them, this is what would happen. Or... Maybe you weren't even necessarily thinking those things, but something bad happened to them. (laughs) I knew that would happen to them. Right? I see some smirks out there. You guys have done that before, right? Right? That, That shouldn't be your thought. If something bad happens to your enemy, you should not be just spilling over with glee. You should be pricked because you love them. It's the evidence of forgiveness. We have a pattern and we have fuel for this. We aren't equipped to do this in our own strength. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Uh, The pattern for forgiveness 
is simply the way that Christ forgave. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as what? This is the pattern. This is the type. This is the blueprint. This is the thing to copy. As Christ has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The bar is set high. You have to forgive in that way. That's the pattern. The fuel is also Christ. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We must do the same. Continue entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. This is not, you don't have to get revenge here. You're not supposed to get revenge here. The Lord will set every wrong right. He will take care of everything. Trust him. And he will give you the grace to do this task if you ask him for it. You cannot do this on your own. You need Christ. We cannot do any of this on our own. We need Christ. Right? He's sufficient. The call for us today, as we've seen application all throughout today, the ultimate call is for us to do this thing of repentance for harboring bitterness and to forgive anyone who's wronged us without a second thought and to do this through the grace that Christ offers. He helps us with this task. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for Christ and for the gospel and for the opportunity to look at these passages, these many passages today that give to us uh, a description of what forgiveness looks like. We pray that you would help us to be eager to forgive and to love others, that we would not harbor bitterness in our hearts, but that we would freely extend mercy and grace just as you have done for us. We know, of course, that those who are not in Christ, that those who've not trusted in Christ as Savior, do not have the energy, the ability, the equipment to offer this kind of forgiveness to other people. And so we pray that if there be anyone here who's not in Christ, that you would help them to see their need to repent and believe in you. And then you would give them what is necessary to be able to forgive others. We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you, of course, for your forgiveness of us, recognizing, as we saw last week, that no person has ever sinned against us more than we have sinned against you. And so help us to keep this in perspective. Help us to offer forgiveness freely and that you would increase our joy in these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.